Yourself is a dedicated podcast meeting brilliant minds and looking at the world around them. How do they 360 themselves and 360 the world? Jamie Neal, the host, that's me, asked many questions about their mindset and how they fundamentally operate their world and the world around them. Here at 360 Yourself, we are very proud and honoured to be partnered with General Assembly. We embrace this with open arms to a new adventure. General Assembly is a global tech education company focused on the most in-demand areas today. So that's anything from UX, digital marketing, coding, data science, data analytics to travel writing and ethics. Our slash their main goal is to get you where you want to be. You can find out more about them at ga.co online or across all socials at ga underscore London. We also encourage you to please rate and comment about us on Apple Podcasts. If you do enjoy what we bring to your ears, we'd love to hear about it. supported by General Assembly and that's right you can get a 25% discount for their services promo code is 360yourself25 the code will be valid up to £75 off any one of their classes workshops and boot camps and is valid until the 31st 08 2021 and is not applicable to GA's full-time part-time or online circuit courses full T's and C's apply Welcome back to 360 Yourself. I hope you're having a good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are in the world. My name is Jamie Neal. I am the host of 360 Yourself. Uh, welcome back uh, for another yet exciting episode. Um, we just keep throwing them out. We keep meeting people. We keep chatting. We keep chatting about themselves, about the world around them, and then we put them out for you. And we're hoping that you're enjoying them um, as much as we are. Um, something that I was watching recently uh, as a kind of a reminder of like my past is uh, Groundhog Day, which I, my past is basically, I loved it when I was about, when like 15 years ago, I used to watch it religiously. Um, and I love the idea of just repeating the same day over and over again about choices. Cause I love, I love to discuss about choices. And this is what I talk about a lot with my guests about why did you choose to do that? Or what was happening in that situation? And I love choice and how choice is defined. And so I watched it again and I was like, this is basically our life at the moment in lockdown. We're just basically just repeating every everything every single every single day, but just doing different, slightly different choices. Um, and so I I've been trying to change my pattern, and and I think I spoke spoke about this previously on a podcast episode about changing our patterns so we're not waking up doing our our emails and then going to bed. I want to actively do different things. I want to I want to drive somewhere because I'm in the countryside. I want to drive to a new place, see a new thing. Um, and just be inspired again. Like I love being in the city uh, of London when I used to live there. 
Um, I love going to galleries. I love meeting new people. And so it's been important for me to make sure that I'm breaking my patterns in my in my work and in my personal life at the moment. But that being said, I've got an amazing guest for you. Um, and I actually, I'm in love with him, basically. He's got the most amazing, infectious energy. He's worked with the biggest people in the in the world, within his world that he works in, as a photographer, as a fashion consultant. I mean, just these names alone are incredible. He's worked with Beyonce, Lady Gaga, Nicki Minaj, Scissor Sisters. He used to be the fashion director for Marlon Manson, and he was the creative assistant for Nick Knight. I mean, Nick Knight is a really, really famous uh, photographer and is the founder of Show Studio. Um, this guy basically is incredible. I just love the way that when well, you know when life gives you lemons, you make lemonade. But sometimes life doesn't give you anything, and there's no wind. But you make the best out of your situation. Basically, this is this guy. He will inspire you. He's inspired me this morning. I can't wait for you to listen listen to him. His name is Chris Sutton, and I want you to soak it all in. Hey, Chris, how are you doing? I'm great, thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> Good. Um, so uh, for, for audience purposes, when I first like, logged on and, and was connecting to Chris uh, via Zoom, it was just so, he was so chatty. <laughs> he was just so warm and lovely. For, so I'm, I'm personally really excited for this because I don't know where these conversations are going to go because we already started talking about Starbucks coffee and everything. So. Um, just tell us what what do you, what have you done with your Starbucks coffee? So you, you've taken the big big mug of the Starbucks coffee. Well, the, you know, let's just be really clear. I stole one of their really big mugs because they're huge. And listen, when someone you know offers me a coffee in the morning, I'm tired. I'm old. I feel like I don't want these little crappy little tiny cups. They're just going to sort of half wake me up. So I stole one of those big motherfucking sorry uh, pints of uh, Starbucks and. Um, that it's what I needed in my life because you know I just can't half-ass it I need to wake up fast that's I know but I think a... people I think people can relate to you though because I think many people have stolen the Starbucks it's like the Soho house that like, people steal the towels from Soho house and like the br the brushes and stuff like people just steal this stuff well I don't go to Soho house so I don't really know I'm not that fancy but <laughs> I do go to Starbucks and I do I do put their mugs in my my hand luggage and I run away very fast but don't tell anyone <laughs> I won't. I won't. I, context is I was. I, I love this thing because I used to work at Starbucks as um it for like four years, and so I did also steal some of the mugs and stuff. And we do have some of the mugs in my cupboard, and so I just think it's a. It's a. Everyone has done it though. I've even seen it while working. People like clean the cups out and like put that tissues in, and then they just put it in the back. And I've seen it actively, <laughs> and I just don't say anything. I'm just like, if you, that's a bold move. Let's keep going. I literally did that. That's exactly what I did. I cleaned it and I stole it. And, you know, as long as they don't see us and hear this, all good. Oh, dear. Oh, my God. Yeah. So whereabouts are you in the world at the moment? Because obviously we have COVID and, and I've been talking to a lot of people around the world. And I think they're like based in like New York at the moment. They're like, oh, no, I'm in um, I'm in Ireland or like or they're being like, oh, I'm in Australia at the moment. I'm like, oh, amazing. So whereabouts are you at the moment with the pandemic going well, on? It, Pandemic or not, um, I always run back to Ireland after work to do post-production and to hide because I lived in London for nine years. And mm -hmm. um, you've obviously you've lived in London, so you know that existing there is kind of just stressful, even if you're not doing something. Yeah. Um, so I came back here and it's brilliant. You know, it's peace, it's space, it's, it's a lot of reality, which is a great balance. 
So right now I'm in Belfast, good Northern Irish boy. There's no pretense up here. We just work hard and avoid the rain. I've I've been to Belfast before. There's a theatre there, which I performed when I was like 14. I think it's a theatre. Yeah, Lyric, is it? Yeah, the Lyric Theatre. I performed there for National Youth Music Theatre, I think it was, or Youth Music Theatre. I can't remember. No. Yeah, maybe. I can't remember. It was years and years and years ago when I was an acting child. But I loved it. I loved it. It was like I was there for two weeks, haven't been back since. <laughs> but it's, I really enjoyed it. You, you loved it so much. You stayed away from it. It's good for you. I know, I know. <laughs> so what was what was your what was your experience then in London for those nine years? And then when did you come to the conclusion that it was like, okay, I need to move back to Ireland and do my career from here and then jump into London? Because a, a lot of people before COVID was like, I need to be in London, that's where it's happening. Like in New York, like, like LA. Well, I think I think the people that come out with that are a lot of people that are, um, I'm trying to say this in a really positive way. When people are trying to be trendy and be in with a cool group, they feel like they have to be in the right city. I'm antisocial and I don't go to those parties and I don't kiss ass. So it never was a problem for me in the sense that, <laughs> Um, it's better, it's put this way, it's better uh, if I stay away from those things and people have a bit of mystery than the, the boring reality of just a geek that loves the camera. So what I did, the bigger reason for it was, um, I guess, uh, burnout. I mean, essentially, I'd, I'd worked so solidly for nine years that I had like about two months worth of memories for it. And that didn't feel like that was healthy. It was just mm. a blur. And I was, at one point, it, it, was, it was amazing, but I felt like I'd done everything that I could do. And, you know, I was sitting away for this basement apartment with like one window and it was like, what is this? This is not a quality of life, you know? And when you're working that back to back, um, you don't have time to see new things or to feel anything. And as an, an artist, I find it a pretentious artist with a small A, with someone that creates things, you need to be seeing things and, and experiencing something different other than, you know, the Northern Lines mm. and Fury, <laughs> basically. Yeah. So. Because was that was that when you were there? I'm assuming that was when you were assisting as a creative assistant. Yeah, but I assisted quite late in life. Like I was 30 when I started that. So I mean, there's a whole situation. No before way! That. Yeah. Oh yeah, my god. Yeah. Okay, let, let's go back then. So where did it all start from? Because I, I was doing a bit of research as well, and I found out that you graduated from acting school as well. Yeah, that's even that's not even the beginning. That's 26 years old. If you want to go back to the beginning, um, I was. Oh. Uh, basically, I mean, I don't know how boring this is, so interrupt me if it's that. No, no, I'm fascinated. Well, basically, you know, you know those kids that are um, completely allergic to hanging out with other people? I would stay in every weekend and I would paint and I would draw uh, and I would obsess and make things all the time. So I was uh-huh. a really great art, stu- art student at school um, in the sense that that's all I did. And then I went to art college, obviously, like everybody mm-hmm. does, because we don't know what we want at the beginning. And I, I got really annoyed at it. I got really angry. They were always telling me what to do. And I was like, I don't really think art is about that. You know, I understand the, the lessons, I understand the guidance, but I don't think you should hold someone back. And they were constantly sort of putting boundaries on me. And I got really angry with it. And they said, you know, you're a bit too, what's the word, um, subversive for this. And I was like, is that, is that a way of saying I'm a bit of a dick? Like, I don't really know. And they said, listen, if you think you can do better, go. And so I, I literally walked out. I didn't finish my degree. I quit. Um, and oh. I started assisting in film in Northern Ireland because I don't, I don't think it was money related. I think it was just like I wanted to be on a set. Mm-hmm. Bottom line, you know, because it seemed very glamorous. It seemed very teamworky and it seemed like what I wanted. So I assisted on some feature films in Northern Ireland when it was just starting and um, did that for about two years. And then 
what happened? Oh yeah, basically I met Gillian Anderson, the actress. Yes. Um, at a not name dropping, just part of the story. Like for real, this, she's a huge uh, weird influence in the middle of all this. I met her at a concert, and I was like, I really want to be an actor one day. Uh, you know, this awkward teenager, and she's like, Oh, you should really do it. And she kept in touch, and then she came to Belfast to do a movie, and she was like, Well, did you go to drama school? And I was like, No way. Like there's five thousand people applying. I'm never going to get it. And she sort of pushed me to do it. So I auditioned for theater school. It wasn't like musical theater. It wasn't like singing no. in Chicago and doing high kicks. It was like, no, 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 no shade to people that do that, but I'm not that elegant. I really, so I, th- like, I, can, I can really tell you, but the bowler hat on is doing the you know, Chicago thing. Well, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm sassy, but I don't know how good it looks, but uh, basically yeah, we did uh, at the National Theater School, I did the audition and I got in first go and, you know, she sent me a lovely note when you're a kid who's like she's sort of my hero so I was like this meant the world to me so I put my little note from her on my wall and I got up at 4 a.m every day went to the gym and did this course for three or four years and it was Shakespeare it was boring it was everything it was like theater performance it was avant-garde it was modern dance it was expressionist it was everything you could think of Mm -hmm. um but then at the same time I didn't fit in there I didn't like it because I'd be given the director would be telling me exactly what to do Mm. So I was in the same situation I was in art school where I was like, oh, great. I thought I had the, you know, the stage to myself and I could express myself. And, mm-hmm. you know, this, this, person in the do- this person in the dark is pulling the strings. And I didn't really love that. So I basically worked all those years and did one play in London. And Gillian Anderson came in the opening night. Nice. Blew my mind. Yeah, very nice. But my producer came up and knocked the door and was like, Gillian Anderson's here. And everyone's like, why does a ghost freaking out? Because. She's amazing and famous. Yeah, yeah. And he, I was like, why are you telling me this before the show? I'm going to throw <laughs> up on stage. This, this is terrifying. So I did that. Um, very exciting. But I feel like I fulfilled the dream so quickly. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, I, I did the show. I got to meet her and do it for her. Mm-hmm. And during that period, I was in London, and I'd made a collection of clothes with my best friend, just, just from sheer boredom, because leading up to that, stage of going to London to do the show I, we, I was stuck in Ireland for a year back mm-hmm. at home and uh, we made clothes just to entertain ourselves to go out at clubs at night now I don't mean like I don't know sick pink where you know they really go for it it was just it was yeah, some, yeah. some leather stuff and I don't even mean kinky leather it was just something of a different it, 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 you know what it was I we were going out in Belfast and I was so bored of how boring everything was that I kind of just wanted to piss some people off so I wanted to wear like stupid leather vests with spikes on it and this was pre- Gaga doing it this is sort of right, how okay. this happened yeah and be- yeah so I was doing press for this theater show and I was taking clothes back to a shop and they saw the pieces that we made and asked who made them and I was like oh well me and my best friend and they stocked our clothes on a Wednesday and at like 3 p.m that day Gaga came in and bought them all whoa whoa, whoa. Who, who bought them Lady Gaga no 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 who stocked them oh Machine A you know Stavros and- oh okay oh, right. yeah 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 and then, yeah, and then yeah, yeah. how did Lady Gaga see them? Well, they, they were just, in the shop. They were on, just, yeah, we oh. basically took the whole collection and said, we want to sell your clothes. Um, and we gave them to him on a Wednesday morning and, you know, we just put them on the reels. Uh-huh. And she was in the, later that day and I got a phone call and I was like, oh, okay. So I guess I'm going to do this now. That's mental. I mean, that's like stars aligning sort of like, I mean, who, when, does, when does that actually happen to people? Well, listen, my enti- listen, this is a weird thing. My entire life is a bunch of really surreal, weird 
situations like that that you yeah. know actually get me drunk enough I, I mean I'm sort of not the storyteller but I honestly don't think people believe half the things that have happened to me I don't either it's so weird that's crazy so you did that with Eddie and Gaga then what happened after that mm. so then you're doing the clothes thing for, for a while I assume like maybe four or five years we started a label okay that designed clothes and it was it was crazy you know we didn't call it my name or my partner's name business partner um because we were I don't know, shy. It was, I thought it was a lot more cool to have a label that was detached and people didn't know a lot about. Yeah. Um, we did a lot of things. So that was four years of Gaga. We did, you know, world tours. We did her Born This Way. We did Marilyn Manson stuff. We did all those world tour things that I don't and have was, a fashion training. So was, and was, like, was that was that when, when Nicola was there? Nicola, yeah. yeah. yeah I've yeah. worked with Nicola uh, exclusively for a long time, basically. Yeah. yeah. And, and but just, and just, Anna, just, just for yeah. context, because Nicola was uh, for audience. Nicola was her, like her creative director and sort of like the creative director of like her, because she had like a design house sort of thing, wasn't she? She did. She did. She had the, well, she still does the house of Gaga. So basically, yeah. Nicola was the, fa- the fashion director. Matt Williams. Oh, fashion director. Now, there you go. Yeah, Matt Williams now who runs Givenchy was the creative director. Uh, I guess Nick Knight was a big part of it too. There you um, go. And yeah, so basically, my label was very. I worked side by side with Nicola's assistant, Anna Trevelyan. She was my consultant. And Anna so, is one of my very good friends and I love her a lot right? dearly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's a very small world, yeah. She's, yeah, of course it is. She's, she's a Barbie dream girl. So we had this amazing situation where this gorgeous girl who's super cool uh, wanted to work with us. And I, of course I would never say no. And that was that experience that went on for long enough. That's where the yeah, coffee yeah. addiction kicked in. Let's be honest, it was very coffee fueled and on the seat of your pants, never stopping. You know, we get a phone call saying, we need, a, I don't know, a latex pregnancy suit for Saturday. You've got 12 hours to make it. And in those 12 hours, that, that accounts for the travel. We also have to get it to New York. Impossible, impossible deadlines. And we always came through. So that's where I learned, I guess, that uh, the key to doing impossible stuff is very small baby steps. Mm. You know, don't talk, mm. don't talk yourself out of it to begin with. Just you know, figure it out as you go because there's always a solution. Yeah, there is. So then, so you did this amazing like costume <clears throat> sort of designing career and then mm-hmm. how did that gen- jump into kind of like photography and film? Do you want the real truth that I've probably yeah. never told anyone before? Okay, basically my business partner uh, overnight stole all the money. <gasps> <laughs> yeah, I won't, I won't lie, listen, if anyone's listening, you know, the shiny, beautiful artifice of people's wor- worlds, it's never that perfect, you know. The truth was, um, you know, my grandfather died one night and I was home in Belfast away from the situation. And I woke up the next day and basically my, that happened. My best friend took all the money. How can, I'm, I'm confused how these businesses, how businesses work. Like, how can someone just take the money because you own the company together? Well, put it this way, uh, when you own a company together, especially with your best friend, uh, I guess the key would be transparency and 50-50 access. So we both had full access to everything and complete trust, mm-hmm. which was to protect uh, each other, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> that backfired. But I mean, you know, at the end of the day, um, it was pretty rough. But uh, I remember meeting with Gaga's uh, manager, Wendy Morris, who I'm really, really close friends with. And she met me in Shoreditch. And I mean, you can imagine how I felt at the time you know mm. we were doing so well and, and I was feeling probably a bit too good about myself and then the universe mm. had to teach me a lesson and mm. she was just like listen this has happened you know to make you into the person that you need to be this is going to teach you something and you know just keep going so I mean my whole world exploded what? and I didn't give up 
why did why did I don't understand why he wanted what did he want to take the money and put it into a different company like why I, I don't understand why someone would want to do that and what, for a successful company that's still it's still um, it's kind of it's in infancy because it's only four or five years is like yeah. still quite a short time for a business like it's not like it was going for like 20 years or whatever I would say that I won't <clears throat> give you the, the reason that he, that I do know that he did it for because it was just personal he was just uh, a little bit lost at the time and I you know I wish him the best and I, I love him to yeah, yeah. He's no longer he's all, he's no longer with us. He passed away last year, so I won't well, say I'm so sorry about him. Well, I mean, you know. <laughs> no, but I mean, it's just, <laughs> so, so passing away is never never nice anyway. But no, no, no. But you know, it is. It's just. It's, I guess there we go. There's the first the first uh, example of like the horrible things happen, and they should never make you um, a tougher, harder person. If anything, they should make you more compassionate, more open and more fluid because I didn't mm. become more brusque or, or more abrupt or aggressive. Uh, if anything, it's, it's sort of, I'd say, give me a whole new perspective that I really appreciate. For sure. I mean, to have that mm. situation thrust upon anyone, you would definitely come out and have a totally new perspective of how to be with people. And also just, it's probably made you a bit more weary as well, a bit more protective, I would say, in terms of oh, your yeah, business sure. adventures. I mean, yeah, absolutely. But also what it did was uh, it gave me a lot of faith in the sense that I didn't stop, you know? I mean, the next day I started a new company, literally, literally the next day. That's and what I would bought, do. And I, yeah, no, <laughs> I did. And I, 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 no, I didn't, I didn't wallow or I didn't, I didn't, I don't think I did. I think maybe there was about three or four months of not, you know, head in the, the duvet, not really wanting to face things. But I came back with a plan and that plan was um, Nick Knight and Show Studio and I'd always loved photography you know I'd studied it as at school and you know I love creating things because I started off painting fine art mm. theater you know which people give me a really hard time about mm. you know I got a lot I got a lot of what do you do you know <laughs> you did a lot of things what do you do and I was really rude and I didn't really like it but I always I always never reacted to that because I thought you know what that's the kind of attitude that people have before you do well and then when you do well you're celebrated yeah oh, yeah, yeah. literally so- i was i was talking to someone recently about uh i won't name names but someone recently who did this really famous film and before this i think everyone in his production company were a bit like i don't know what he does like trying to sell him to thing and then then he did like this big film and then people just like oh and then everyone wanted him and then he did another big film with uh, tom hardy and then people were just like, we really want him. But at the beginning, like people just didn't know what to, how to sell him. They didn't know how to sell him for no. commercials, that sort of thing. Oh, it's, it's crazy double standard. You know, he, oh. you, get called a renaissance, you get called a renaissance man when you do well, but when you're, you know, not finding your way. But when, listen, when you're trying to express something, it can be a painting. Sometimes it has to be a painting. Sometimes mm. it's a photograph. Sometimes it's on stage. Sometimes it's a piece of clothing that an artist wears. They're mm. all different medi- mediums for a creative person. So I don't really understand at all why anyone needs to, you know, apart from, you know, financial reasons and focusing on it and seeing what you're good at. But if you work hard at something, you should be able to be very good at anything you want to be good at, you know? I've always believed that. I mean, it's, that, that, yeah. it's like the um, 10,000 hour uh, experiment, isn't it? Like if you do 10,000 yeah. hours of something, you become a master or whatever it is. But again, yeah, practice. and I never studied, you know, I never studied any of those things except acting, which let's be honest, I mean, I'm not a movie star right now and I don't want that attention. I'm the opposite, which is interesting, but um, I never studied photography and I never studied fashion. So I'm a great example of if you're curious enough, you can Mm. teach yourself anything, I think. 
Well, it's true. I think it's all about the mindset, isn't it? And it's about even just having like the, the curiousness and also having um, an artistic vision. And then the skills would just come like afterwards. Like you just go on, as long as you've had that kind of curiosity and you have like sort of an imagination, then all you need mm. to know is just the skills of how to make that imagination alive. And that's what you obviously did when you worked with like show, a show studio at night. Yeah, I think that the other thing in that ingredient that's really key that, that sort of sets people apart would be um, I learned that you have to have a good eye or mm. learn to have a good eye for things because it's okay to it's okay to have imagination and it's okay to have ability. But if you're not self-aware enough to know when you're crap or to know when you're good, you're not going to go far. And I think, you know, Nick Knight, I give him so much credit. He's like a father, mentor, genius that I learned from. And I was lucky enough to sit at his desk for two years. And, you know, it was seven days a week. It was, you know, early morning, late at night. It was, it was like being 18 years old again. And bear in mind, I was 31 at this stage and I'd had a huge, pretty successful fashion career. So my ego got deleted overnight and I went to making nice cups of tea and, and serving a real genius. Yeah, you know, I mean, really. it's so humbling though, isn't it? I mean, he, but he is literally like an absolute genius in what he does. Like the things I see with he, him doing now, he's still revolutionary. He's still like way ahead of everyone else. He keeps like, well, he keeps moving the marker for everyone. And it's amazing. And that's the thing with Nick is that, you know, uh, he essentially created the role that he gave me out of probably sheer kindness, God bless him. You know, I was his first ever creative assistant. And what is a creative assistant? You know, it's such a strange title that it can be brilliant or it can be nothing. It's really what you make of it. And, you know, I went in and how do you creatively suggest anything to Nick Knight? Exactly. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So that's where the modesty comes in, because you listen, there's nothing that you can tell that man that he hasn't seen before. I would have ideas and he's like, oh, I did that in 1989. And I'm like, oh, cool. Great. It was a good idea, but I'm about 20 years too late. And I, know. I was always a bit short. And, and I guess that the thing that he taught me was he's an absolute madman in a good way. Like he's obsessed with it. It's his entire life. And he said to me and my, my best friend, John Emini, uh, who we both adore Nick. And he said, listen, if you're not obsessed with this, and if this is not your life, and if you do not consistently think of this 24 hours a day, then there's no point in it being your career. Yeah, yeah. And I, so I, was like, I was like, ooh. I was like, oh, do I have that? Am I, am I going to be like that? And the funny thing is that it's, it's, it absolutely came true. I mean, my entire life is, you know, I, it, I email myself my images at night and I play with them on my phone and trying to discover new things. And then the next day I look at all my disgusting experiments that aren't that great and delete half of them and keep one. And it never stops. And I have to mm. sort of give Nick that credit because he gives structure and permission to a lot of the things that I had in my head that were just bouncing off the crazy walls of my brain that made no sense. He streamlined mm. it into a, a workflow, I guess, would be the way. Yeah, he's a, he has such an energy. I remember working with um, uh, Britt Lloyd, his, his photography assistant on a project, and I yeah. had to go into show studio, and we were doing like a, a briefing, and then he came into the meeting, and, I, and that was probably the second time I met him. And then he actually spoke to me, and then he was asking like questions and stuff like this, and I was a bit like, I don't, <laughs> I don't know how to respond, because <laughs> it's Nick Knight. I was like, how could you have a, a, a really in-depth, like, creative conversation with the man who is, like, so ahead of, like, amazed that like, people push things a lot more forward in terms of filmography, in terms of, like, mm. photography, everything. It's, I mean, I think for the last, like, six minutes, we've just been talking about how much we love it at night, so. 
Well, I mean, he's, he, let's be honest, for, for me, he's a, a huge uh, crossroad, you know, and I, I know Brett, Brett was um, a, an intern at the time when I was assisting and she came in and she was very sweet and quiet and sat in the corner and, uh, you know, she's sweet, so that's nice, but the next she's, thing was... Yeah, she's a, she's a powerhouse as well, I love her, she's very, very good. I was, I, I, at the time, I, she was very quiet and I don't remember her taking many photographs so this is the whole revelation now there's this career that's established and I'm like girl go for it like yeah go do your thing yeah it's it's it, but, it's sorry you go ahead you go ahead uh no yeah but then the thing with you know just to, not to ramble on but yeah that was hard work that was exciting but then when I was with Nick uh this sort of crazy English lady came into the studio one day that I sort of fell in love with a little bit and uh-huh. that was the next crossroad like I sort of I don't even know what you would say like I skim along with these magical people that um, yes, Nick's a genius and he's a great figure, but he's also a man that, that's got a great edge to him that I, um, I don't know, had a alchemy with, mm-hmm. you know, and that's the bottom, the bottom line. It, it wasn't an accident. So we met for a reason, had this interesting relationship. And then I pinged off in the direction of this wonderful woman called Amanda Harlick, who I didn't know anything about at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I just thought she was a crazy English lady and I loved her. I thought she was batshit crazy, gorgeous fun electric I didn't know that she was first of all a lady a real one I thought maybe mm-hmm. that was like a Lady Gaga title or something so <laughs> I wasn't sure I no. hope she's not listening um and uh, I didn't know that you know she basically started working with John Galliano at the beginning and she was Karl Lagerfeld's music I knew none of this stuff I just knew yeah. that I wanted to know her and we were like kids at art class at the back of the class gossiping every two minutes and I would always try and steal her into the kitchen and from the first minute we met we became I don't know, some kind of uh, soulmate conspirators, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. which, so, which is very lucky for me. And so were you, and then so, so you were with Nick and then you were with her. And then when, did you, when was the point that you kind of made that decision? It was like, okay, I need to do it by myself. I need to stand on my own two legs and do my own thing. Well, it actually became really apparent while working with Amanda in Paris with Carl, uh, because you know, we, we'd uh, done some really great work and I was, you know, work, you know, I would signboard things with her and assist her in the same way I did with Nick. But when we were with Carl in Paris, um, I was asked a lot to shoot a lot of behind the scenes sometimes for V Magazine. Mm-hmm. And uh, I took it, I got a bit too passionate about it. I started to do that thing where uh, the behind the scenes weren't really behind the scenes. I was kind of like shooting my own portraits of Kendall Jenner in between takes. And they were, they were really nice, but I, I didn't, I, I just, got so obsessed with it that when I was assisting I think for the last six months I had my camera with me the whole time mm-hmm. and uh, I remember Carl saying oh you want to be a photographer and he got like about seven bags of these huge Chanel bags and filled them with 120 film that he had left over from I don't know 20 years of campaigns that he hadn't used and he gave them to me and he goes you should take photographs and I was like what like I still That's have some amazing yeah so I was like, you know what, you know, I think Amanda saw it too, you know, she saw an assistant get less interested with uh, doing the assistant job. And she was like, right, you, you're an artist, you need to go and focus on this. And, and you know, she guided me through all that. Mm. I mean, what, what, I mean, what a journey you've had, I mean, with all these amazing names and stuff. And so that, that obviously led you on to kind of going into the, the fashion world and doing the photography and, and you've worked with some amazing kind of performer, performers like Beyonce and Lady Gaga, Nicki Minaj. How did that kind of translate? Because obviously you already had the kind of career with Lady Gaga. I'm assuming it was kind of like a stepping step into the next sort of like realm with all, all the other kind of music artists and stuff. And then obviously with Marilyn Manson, which obviously is amazing as well. 
Well, yeah, it's 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 that thing of um, I don't know. I'm, I'm sure everyone is the same, and you are, and anyone listening is that you know when you're a kid or you're a teenager and you're listening to music or you're watching a movie, and you're like, I think that person would be like my best friend. I mean, you, you're probably kidding yourself a little bit, but um, you know, there's some people that are famous that you just want to get to know, and Marilyn Manson no. was one of them for me. My, mine's and mine's I, Chris Martin from Coldplay. Oh wow! <laughs> Mind that so much about you. <laughs> yeah, I know. I just think Chris Martin's amazing. I'm a massive fan of Coldplay, and everyone shuns me. And I'm like, I love Coldplay so much. Like, I absolutely love love them for years. Anyway, Gary, back to your story. I'm just I'm, I'm just gonna judge you silently and answer the question. Uh, basically, um, we I got really uh, I basically texted his ex wife, uh, Dita Von Teese, and I was like, listen, I really like. Manson obviously um I'm not saying you know give me a gold ticket or or I don't know a job what I'm saying is showing my work I think it's good enough uh for his attention if it's not ignore this you know it was really a case of if you like what I do uh call me if you don't that's fine you know Mm -hmm. it was an opportunity to work with him and uh, then his manager called me like two hours later and was like don't call him Brian only the police and his father call him that. And I'm like, okay, fine, okay, cool. Right. And started to sweat a little bit. I was like, oh. And uh, he flew to London and we had a meeting and hit it off very instantly. And he's like a brother to me. So he is a poet and a very, very smart, sensitive, um, what's the word? I think he comes off as completely um, eccentric at times. But if you've been around Gaga and Nick Knight and those people, you're able to decode the fact that he's not eccentric. He's just thinking seven things at once and you have to keep up. And mm. if you keep up with those seven things, they do connect when you go home and think about it. But it's a lot of information that comes at you, which you can tell he's had a very illustrious creative career. So his mind is on different levels. Yeah, I remember, I, I remember working with Paul Smith uh, for his Pity of Money show. And I remember him coming into like pre-meeting and literally the same thing. He would have like eight ideas that were so separate. But then if you listen, they all connected. And there was a guy next to him who was this kind of right-hand man called Sean, who was kind of like depicting his mind at the same time and then was translating it into what I needed to know. And I was just like, like, uh, I was so blasted away that he just literally was like, oh, oh, oh. I was like, where's all this coming from? He just was on another level. And I could, I can totally relate to this. Yeah, so that's that's why we got on, and and also I'm I'm not very interested in um, fame or uh, I, I guess that's just it. Full stop. So I was never. It wasn't like oh, I'm adjacent to someone really well known, and I'd get really high off it because I would never pander to their. I don't know. I wouldn't just agree with them because they were famous. I, you know, I would give them if anything more more of a hard time and challenge them a lot more because I'd be like, why? Like you know. You can't do that. That's ugly. Like just because you say you want to do it doesn't mean you should do it. You know exactly. And, and it, you know, and it, it, we had this great, honest sort of relationship. And I got the nickname Sassy Pants because I argue back all the time. <laughs> but that's good though, because I think I think a lot of these people, uh, even the, uh, probably the days of like Michael Jackson, where he was so mm. famous that like, people just didn't want to say no or don't want to question that. And I think those people need that kind of like thing because. I think everyone that has been, everyone that I've heard on kind of podcasts and all these famous actors and that sort of thing, throwish on the idea of conflict and like challenge, because if not, you're just, they're getting yeses all the time and they're just like, well, let me tell you, where's, where's the process? It's like all good things come from friction, right? <laughs> we all need it in life and it's important. Mm. And 
um, you know, I've learned to be a bit more elegant and eloquent with it the older I've got. You know, I, I think at first maybe it seemed a bit, a bit uh, oafish and misplaced at times, but now it's a little bit more uh, curated and polite, shall we say, you know, but it's, it's important. It's important to challenge people because at that level, yeah, there's, there's so many people agreeing and that just makes me allergic to that. I'm not very good with that. You know, mm. I'm the first person to say hello and, and have a chat and I don't care if it's a superstar or not at all. No one mm. makes me nervous really at all, except who makes me nervous. Uh, no one yet that I've met anyway. <laughs> I think the only I think the only person who would make me nervous would probably be Beyonce. I think that's the only person, like period. I think she'd be. I think that she's so smart and she listens that she'd be a joy. I think that you know working directly. I worked with B. Ackerland at the time, so I was I wasn't working directly with Beyonce. So uh, I think that she's such an open artist and she listens, and I think that's a that's a key. And the other thing mm. is, all the people I've mentioned are really nice people. They're the nicest. None of them have been, you know. <laughs> deliberately mean some of them have been a bit rough but like good for them but I mean that you know the people that get to that level you realize why they get to that level it's because they're kind they're open they listen and there's some great level of hard work you know mm. and then you go oh that's why that's why you're famous or a legend or you, you see it because with Carl especially Carl was I mean he's a working class kid and the funny thing is that the external uh perception of him was so luxury and detached and elite but the reality was he was the working class witty acidic magical fairy godmother you know what I mean like he would yeah, yeah. have such a laugh with you he wasn't untouchable you know mm. he liked me and he we would go to we'd have the couture or not all Chanel but everything for a shoot and he would go through each piece and like what do you think of this and we would I just remember thinking why is nobody recording this this is <laughs> such a you should have your own reality show. He was so watchable and listenable and, and quotable. And to be honest, I feel like fashion's changed a lot since he passed away. I feel like there's something missing in Paris a bit, and maybe it's him. So probably is Sorry, him. I mean, he, no, but he he was the sort of like well, he is still is the legendary thing that kind of infused into the Paris culture as well. So I totally agree with you. But what big big glamorous daydream that sort of doesn't exist anymore. I mean, those nights in Paris were absolutely unreal you know i know i know and so how because obviously the i i've talked to someone else on, on our podcast and, and we all work with very famous people and, mm. and have this very uh from the outside uh when you talk to no people who don't work in the arts it's all very lavish and very large and, and great and that sort of thing but obviously behind the mask it's not as glamorous as it possibly can be how do you differentiate what's the word um how do you um, split your time mentally from jumping into that world to then go back into what reality is let me tell you something the difference is very real and the difference is vast and huge I, I feel like um, I think people think that me I don't know about I don't even think anyone thinks about me but if it's in my position or anyone that does those creative things you know that is connected with a bit of glamour I think their impression is that I walk into a set that looks really cool and it's exciting and there's all these beautiful people and the music's on and it's just this big party and it's like no 90% of my life is stressing over emails before that moment for that moment to work <laughs> me having it's basically me having nervous breakdowns because I care so much and pretending like I don't and then you know I say for me I'm lucky that I don't live in it because you know Amanda has a wonderful home in Shropshire and she separates herself from 
Paris and London and her fashion life by going back to her farm. And I learned that that's what I wanted. So I did that. So mm. basically my, my preparation is, <clears throat> sorry, excuse me. That's not a COVID cough. That's a, it's all right. Don't worry. Stop smoking cough. Um, basically is getting ready for, for traveling. Cause I basically literally fly in for work. So it's very literal entering for me. Like I pack my bag and my kits, I travel with all my cameras and I travel with all my lights. I don't usually hire a lot of stuff. And, um, you know, I, I get ready for it and I keep all my energy to, you know, to give to the person that I'm photographing because when I come home, um, I don't see people. I'm very antisocial. I don't, I really don't, I, I don't go to bars. I don't drink um, at all, not for any moral reason, just because my drug is the job, you know? Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, and I just, I, I sit and I, I read books. I watch every film without any pretension. I don't want anyone, I hate it when people are like, oh, my favorite film's Tarkovsky and they're all, or my favorite photographer's Ansel Adams. And you're like, good for you. I mean, my favorite film is Death Becomes Her. <laughs> um, you know, you don't need to be, you know, pretentious to be, you know, cool. So it's like, I watch everything without judgment. And it usually leads to questions that I want answered. So I guess that to explain the other 90% of my existence is passion and curiosity for stuff. So what's something lately I've been interested in? Um, I'm very obsessed with NASA. Oh, me too. It, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. my god! So, so I obsessed with it. Are you, have you watched that Netflix series, uh, the aliens, and about our past and all that sort of thing? Oh my god! Okay. I am. I've, I'm trying to find someone who's also obs obsessed about this as I am, because it took. Uh, for context, this this Netflix series talks about the history before Jesus Christ and how what we talk about as gods in quotation is actually not gods, and what they're talking about is people coming down from the sky and it's written in stone in these sacred places that these things people gods came down from the sky to help them and so we call them gods but actually they're not gods they're just people that potentially might look like us that have come down and so i'm absolutely obsessed about it because it it predates before jesus christ it's like 200 yeah. a.d and they all believe and this is also about talking about the stories of the Bible, talking about how basically like the Garden of Eden is like an actual place. It's not a made a place, it exists, it exists near off um, the kind of rivers of um, Syria. And so I basically, anyway, I'm, I'm going on a tangent, but I absolutely love it. Are, are you a Scientologist? Is that what you're telling me? No, I'm not a Scientologist. I just, I'm, I'm very much spiritual, but I, but I, yeah. but I believe, that there's more than what I think is is presented in front of us. Oh, I yeah. I, I mean, I, it, yeah, it's all a story. It's believe, all like Chinese whispers and stuff. Well, I mean, I'm from Belfast, so I'm very um, not anti-religion, but I don't really like anything that fragments people. And I believe that religion really has been a subject that has fragmented a lot of good things in the world. You know, I mm. believe that there are common there are common codes between you know, Catholicism and Buddhism and Judaism. And I think that when you break down the basic, basic, basic lessons, that that's what I think your code should be. You know, I don't really know if there was a, I'm sure there was a really lovely man with great hair called Jesus, but I also respect everybody else's religion where I'm like, I think it all comes from an essential seed that was planted. Don't know where, don't know when, but you know, don't be a dick. Don't tell people, put out good vibes. Drink your coffee. Don't be an Has asshole. Hashtag um, good vibes only. That's it. That's what yeah, Jesus was you know, doing. Basically, you know, it's like 
it's like something, you know, it's Chris Jenner. <laughs> it's too blessed to be stressed. Just get on with your life and be good. And, you know, I, I do believe that when you're negative, that it sticks to you like tar and you carry oh, that around with you. And, and then you, you know, you pay for that negativity, which is actually this ties in nicely because I think this is what you're asking about an hour ago and I didn't answer you, which is um, everything I've ever did up until this point has been almost perfectly a part of the puzzle. You know, if I'm shooting a photograph, I look at the lighting in a way that I used to be obsessed with impressionism. I'm such a boring kid. It's not the coolest movement, but I love light. Um, I love Vermeer and I loved all those things in, you know, Renaissance. And that educated my photography sort of mm. knowledge. Mm. And then theater, again, influenced how I deal with models and actors and how I direct them because I know all the exercises and all the things to do to relax. So if someone's looking very tense, I get them to do a warm up with me or I get them to shake it off. And no one's ever stuck or uncomfortable with me. And I think that I've seen some photographers that um, hold the camera and look at the subject and wait for something to happen. And it's horrible. It's like pressure. Or, or they get, or they, they hire me. <laughs> and the in between. Or they hire, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? yeah, no, I, what a luxury. I mean, I, I, having someone doing movement direction is, a, I would love to be able to do that because yeah. it's a side, side note, I'm obsessed with dance and movement and modern dance and I think it's beautiful, but um, you know, I'm really much like, listen, it's my, you're already existing in front of the camera. You've done your job. It's my job to guide you through what I see because you can't see yourself. So I make it, it's up to me, it's on my back. So I want them mm -hmm. to feel like, just let go and trust me and, you know, take a jump off the cliff and let's go on a journey. And, you know, I won't ever take advantage of that trust and make someone look uglier or vulnerable, you know? Of course, of course. And so as we're sort of like wrapping up this episode, which I which obviously would want to do because I, I'm obviously obsessed about you right now and I, love, I absolutely love everything really? you're saying. I, yeah. think it, I just like, I, I don't even know how you find me. I feel like anyone that's ever heard of me has probably had to deep dive on the internet for about 10 years. I don't know. I feel like the janitor. Maybe it's because I disappear back to Ireland. I don't I Maybe. feel like a student that doesn't know anything. Maybe, but so I wanted like to know. So as we as we come to an end, um, what, what we always do on the show is do a give back, and our audiences really love this because it's a little kind of like a little kind of something something that gives you an impression about the person and how they kind of I don't know how they are inspired by the things around them. And so what I would love to know is what would be the one thing. It might be a mantra, a film, or anything like that, or the way that you might live your life. If we give back to an audience, that might inspire them in some way. Um, well, for me, it would be not necessarily in life, but in, in work and well, I guess my life is work. So it is that don't be too pleased with yourself. Oh, good one. You know, like, um, I don't, I listen, I'm the exact opposite. I don't like any of my work. I, I know it, I get it to the level where I'm pleased with it, but then the day after I'm completely like, oh, I could have done better. And, and I'm not entirely pleased and I want then if you if you look at the any recent work that I've done if you're if anyone's smart enough or cares enough you'll always see that it, it, the next thing is a direct uh answer to the previous thing like I did a <laughs> I, it is because something annoys me about it like I did a Halpern uh shoot that was very colorful and bright and most most people know me for being a bit more dark and they were like oh wh where's your dark sensibility so then the next shoot was a renaissance uh inspired shoot that I did in Italy and you know, again, just be curious. Don't be pleased by your work too soon. Always push it and mm. be very curious. Just a side note, just a ramble about a shoot I did in Milan was because I'm obsessed with art and Renaissance and all those techniques from many years ago, I'm very anti-retouch. 
So all my work is done in camera, just to say that, because that's something I am proud of, is like it's not retouched for six weeks. That's all my original work. I don't have a retoucher or someone that comes in. So when I worked in Milan, I found out the general three key painting rules that were used in Renaissance, which I knew already. I'm not going to try and pronounce them because I'm too Irish, but it's basically, obviously, chiaroscuro, the light defines the dark. So negative space is important. That's one thing that everybody knows. Another mm -hmm. thing is this painting uh, technique called, I think it's S uh, Fumato, I can't pronounce it. It's S-F-U-T-A-O. Mm -hmm. And it's basically used when Leonardo da Vinci painted the Mona Lisa. He made uh, the shadows and definitions on the face a little bit blurred to mm. mimic what the actual eye sees so it's not as graphic and defined so i photograph uh using those painterly techniques i use a soft focus i use directional light and i try and mimic what the painter would do but in a lens which isn't very modern it's not very nick knight but it's where my passion comes from which is there you go stay open and creative there you go i'll look i look at your work with entirely different light now now you now i know you don't have post-production and you have a research, yeah. which is made, which no. is blows out mine because I've seen the helping one, and I'm like, because it's like a smudgy thing in the background, and I'm like, that's really fascinating. Oh, I love that because that's actually a smudgy thing. You should tag Shona Heath, the genius set designer that works with Tim Walker, uh, basically hand painted that smudge. I love it. I love it. I just love it because it's so like sort of an like arty in the background and. There was there was the um, the Versace campaign uh, for the de there was a denim campaign. It was done by Matt Projects, which we had um, the chief creative officer on our podcast recently. And it was a beautiful uh, girl sitting down, but behind her was like this like blue kind of canvas washy thing. And I absolutely love that when fashion can really merge with art and design and painting, and it creates an entirely yeah. new thing. So I, that the me the Harper Moore was really really great I really love that shoot yeah that's that's it that's that's that curiosity so you'll see like the last thing I did was quite colorful and already this, I'm, I'm actually I've got a meeting right after this for the next cover I'm shooting and I'm almost certain it's black and white because I'm sick of color so much already <laughs> I love it I love it well I want to say thank you so much for coming on 360 yourself is that it's been really really fascinating I want to thank you for being so honest and authentic in, in your in your interview with me well, just for anybody listening, listen, uh, you know, Instagram and the whole world is curated. Yeah, people's stories are not as easy. They're not as glamorous and they're not as smooth as you think. There's a lot of depression. There's a lot of struggle and sweat and tears. And if you're feeling like it's impossible, it's because it is. That's why not everybody does it. But just keep going. You can't give up. That's just it. Amen to that. Well, thank you so much. Thank you so much for giving me time to ramble. I appreciate it. <laughs> This is 360 Yourself and I'm Jamie Neal. Thank you very much for taking a moment to listen to our wonderful guests. Please subscribe to our podcast to access all our brilliant guest episodes. They are released every Sunday at 12pm. We are available on all listening platforms, Spotify, Pocket Cast, Overcast, Google Podcasts and Castro. You can also find us on Instagram at 360 underscore yourself, Twitter at yourself360 and our host at Jamie Neal JN. Thank you for listening.